I would ask you, if you would, please take your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Very well-known passage, a passage which talks about many of the Old Testament heroes of the faith, and uh, as they were uh, witnesses to us, uh, we see how God uh, uh, gave them the faith to exercise and how he used that, and how their faith was credited to them as righteousness, and we see as they're witnesses to us that uh, we need to express faith in the same way, and so... This morning, as we read from God's Word, I would ask you, if you're able, please stand together with me as we read from Hebrews chapter 11, beginning verse 8, and read through verses 19. Hear now the word of the Lord. By, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith... He made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so, from this one man, and him as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise him from the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Thus far, the reading of God's word, you may be seated. I heard uh, someone uh, say once that uh, the payment for being a Christian in this life is not really that all that great. But the retirement plan is certainly out of this world. Uh, we live in a time and a place where we often hear that being a Christian will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Um, we're told in some circles that if you're not healthy and wealthy and wise and you're a Christian, the only reason you're not healthy, wealthy, and wise is because of your lack of faith. But being healthy and wealthy has not been the experience of most Christians throughout history. Not even Jesus experienced this sort of prosperity gospel. Remember in Matthew 8, he even said that the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. 
And when the rich young ruler comes to him and asks about uh, following him and uh, inheriting the kingdom of heaven, Jesus winds up telling him, well, you, you lack one thing. What you must do is go and sell everything that you have. Take the money from the sale of that and give it to the poor, and then you can come and follow me. It's kind of a, not necessarily the... That's the reverse of the prosperity gospel, isn't it? Say you become poor so that you find in me your wealth. <laughs> Instead of getting all the wealth, it seems that Christ demands that we give it all up. We put our trust in him instead of all of the things of the world. This is what the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11 were commended for. And I think it's what we should strive for as well. And so therefore this morning as we continue to study some of these heroes of the faith from Hebrews chapter 11. I want us to see uh, some things about faith. Uh, particularly from Abraham and uh, Isaac and Jacob. I want us to see some things that are important for uh, our faith as well. And so you see your outline. Uh, you have in your bulletin there four main points about faith. And the first thing I want us to see about faith is that faith leads. We see it in verse, verses 8 through uh, 10. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance obeyed and went, uh, even though he didn't know where he was going. Faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, uh, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to a city whose foundations, whose, with foundations whose architect and builder is God. The author of Hebrews is telling us a story from uh, Hebrews chapter 12. You recall where God comes to Abraham. Abraham is 75 years old. Imagine, 75 years old, you've lived in the same place all of your life. You've got your home and your family and your neighbors and all your education. Everything is all familiar to you there. And then God says, all right, I want you to pack up everything you have and leave. And you say, well, where, where are you taking me, Lord? He says, I'll show you. <laughs> you just got you just got to come on and go with me. Now, I want you to leave this place that you're familiar with. I want you to leave your home, your neighbors, and your family. And you're going to leave all of that behind. It's interesting, in Joshua chapter 24, we read about Abraham's father, Terah. And he says that Terah and Abraham's other ancestors, they worshipped other gods. They're in the land where Abraham was. They had worshipped other gods. They worshipped idols. We see that this didn't change as soon as Abraham left, but it continued on. In Genesis 31, we, we see the story of where uh, you know, Jacob has had to escape to go to Laban's house because he thought Esau was going to kill him. And uh, so anyway, he goes to it and he, he finds Rachel and he falls in love with Rachel and does a barter with uh, Rachel's uh, father, Laban, and says, I'll, I'll work seven years for you and then... And then you let me marry Rachel. Well, uh, Laban pulls a trick on him. He, he winds up after seven years marrying Leah instead. And Leah was the one with weak eyes, and he wasn't crazy about her. So uh, he wanted to marry Rachel, but he says, you tricked me, and you gave me the wrong sister. And he said, well, she's the oldest. I couldn't marry the younger before the oldest. And he says, work for me another seven years, and I'll give you Rachel. Well, indeed, he does that, and Laban's uh, flocks prosper under him as he takes care of the flocks, but then he finally decides it's time for me to, to take all that I had gained here and leave and, and 
go away from my father. Let him go back to the, to the land of my father and my grandfather. And so he leaves Laban and goes. And, he, and as he goes, Rachel, this wife that he has labored 14 years for, the one that he really loves, the one the first time he saw her, it was love at first sight. He, he was totally enamored with her. Well, she takes some of the idols from Laban's house. It hadn't stopped. It was still going on there in that land. They were still worshiping other idols. When God tells Abraham, it's 75 years, you leave. You leave family. You leave home. You leave everything here. You leave those gods and all that old way of things. You leave all the old ways of darkness. I'm calling you into light. And God calls him to leave that old life behind. The author of the Hebrews is writing here to uh, these Hebrew Christians who have been raised in the Old Testament uh, way with uh, looking forward to the coming of Christ with all the ceremonial uh, aspects to it. Well, Christ is coming to fulfill that and we don't have to continue to look forward to his coming because he's already come. So now you've got to leave those old ways behind. You have to leave your old ways of thinking you've got to obey the law for your righteousness and you have to come and totally trust in the Lord and His provisions for you. By faith we are to recognize what the author of Hebrews is reminding us about here with Abraham. He says you've got to leave these things, leave them behind. We're called often to leave a lot of things behind. We're called to leave our own self-righteousness behind, aren't we? Because it's not in our righteousness that we have a standing before God. The, the Lord's Supper before us should remind us of that. We come in communion with the Lord saying, yes, His sacrifice and His righteousness is now my righteousness. As I'm joined together with Christ. And we're to leave our righteousness as a demand for God to let us into His presence. We're to leave that behind. We're to leave all of the other idols that we might have in this world, especially in America in this day and age, all the materialism, and we live for all, you know, the, the, the health and wealth, prosperity gospel. You know what? They're getting it all wrong when they tell us that this is what we live for. And if God really loves us, you'll have that Mercedes and that BMW and that, uh, um, all, all of the other things that you could want in this life. And they say, you know what? You might get some of that, but that's not... That, you've got to be able to leave that behind. You've got to be able to leave that and not depend on that for, for your, your, your being sustained and for your relationship with God. And quite often, God will call us to leave those sorts of things behind. And I want you to know that by faith, we recognize that whatever God calls us to leave, as He called to Abraham to leave these things behind. Whatever God calls us to leave is not really that important. You remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He talks, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 6. He talks about leaving things behind. Matthew 6, verse 19 through 21. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but, still, but store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
don't store up for yourselves treasures on this earth. Why? Well, moths can, you know, if it's clothing, moths can get in and eat it up. Or if it's some sort of metal, if it's an automobile, it can get rusted out and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's gone. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures here. Leave that behind. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because these things, these treasures in heaven are eternal. It's interesting in Mark chapter 10 that uh, Peter comes to the Lord and uh, is kind of concerned about what uh, he has left behind. And Peter in Mark chapter 10 verse 28 says, We have left everything to follow you. That's what Jesus said. He says, I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. <laughs> you know what, Peter? You've left all this, but don't worry. You're going to gain so much more. That's the promises that God has given to us. We need to be able to hold lightly to the things of this world. Not look to them for faith is able to leave these things behind. I want to read to you uh, some words from uh, a song that uh, Michael Card and a friend of mine, Scott Rowley, wrote uh, years ago. Both of them recorded it on some albums. But uh, it's called The Things That We Leave Behind. It's uh, There sits Simon, so foolishly wise. Proudly he's tending his nets. Then Jesus calls. And the boats drift away, and all that he owns he forgets. More than the nets he abandoned that day, he found that his pride was soon drifting away. It's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things that we leave behind. Matthew was mindful of taking the tax, pressing the people to pay. Hearing the call, he responded in faith and followed the light of the way. Leaving the people so puzzled, he found the greed in his heart was no longer around. And it's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things that we leave behind. Every heart needs to be set free from the possessions that hold us so tight. Because freedom's not found in the things that we own. It's the power to do what is right. With Jesus, our only possession, giving becomes our delight. We can't imagine the freedom we find from the things that we leave behind. We show a love for the world in our lives by worshiping goods we possess. Jesus said, lay all your treasures aside and love God above all the rest. Because when we say no to the things of the world, we open our heart to the love of the Lord. And it's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things that we leave behind. Oh, it's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things that we leave behind. God calls Abraham here and he says, leave it all behind. Follow me. Quite often God says to us, leave it behind. Follow me. I'll show you where to go. Well, faith leaves. Abraham was able to go ahead and, and leave at 75 years and go on uh, to follow God. But faith not only leaves, faith believes. We might think it ridiculous for Abraham to leave, 75, it's no spring chicken. And to leave, and to leave not even knowing where he was going, as we see in verse 8. 
He didn't even know where he was going. And can imagine his friend saying, Abraham, you're packing up. You're leaving? He says, yeah, I'm leaving. Where are you going? Well, I don't know for sure. God's guiding me. <laughs> are you crazy? Are you just insane that you would do something like that? But we see that Abraham has placed his faith in God. And he was not placing his faith so much in the promise, but in the one who gave the promise. Look at verse 11. By faith, even the, by faith Abraham, even though he was a past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become the father, uh, was able, it was enabled to become a father because he considered faithful him who made the promise. Now, Abraham's not so much thinking of the promise as he is thinking of the one who promised it. Let's say that you were, uh, that, that I had my checkbook here and I pulled it out and I started writing a check for you. Put your, insert your name here, right? And I'm writing a check for you. And when it comes to the number, I write 1, comma, 0, 0, 0, comma, 0, 0, 0, and a little dash up at the top. And, and then the other line, $1 million. And I made it out to you. Is that great or what? I mean, you come up and I would give you a check for a million dollars. And what is a check? A check's not the money itself, but it's a promise to pay, right? You take this to my bank and they will pay you this one million dollars. Uh, there's a couple of problems with this, right? If you know me very well, you know I don't have a million dollars. And I can't give it to you. So that promise is no good at all, right? I can make the promise, but if I don't have the ability to fulfill the promise, it's no good. There's a second problem, a problem with it. So I fill out the check and I hand it to you. You look at it and go, oh, you forgot to sign it. <laughs> well, I'm not going to sign that. Right? Say so the money was there. I, I won the publisher's clearinghouse, right? And the money was there, and, but I didn't sign the check. And I'm not going to sign the check. Well, I could be making the promise, and if there was, but there is no ability. But if the ability was there, and I wasn't really willing to fulfill that promise, that's a problem too. Abraham, when he hears this promise, he considers the ability of the one who makes the promise. He says he owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? He created it all. He sustains it all. He owns it all. And he even owns the future, and he has made promise to me. He is able to fulfill it, but God is one who always keeps his promise to He is truthful. He is faithful to all he has promised. So he is not only able, but he is willing to fulfill those promises. So when we look at the promises that God gives to us, like Abraham, we need to not... We, we need to look at the promises and go, that's great. All the, uh, you know, all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms and, and a bright future when uh, sin is no more a part of the equation. All brokenness is gone. That's good. We're excited about that. But is he really able? Well, yeah, he's able. Is he willing? Absolutely. He's willing. He who did not spare his own son, how? Much will he, uh, will he not, you know, much more give us all things? Yes, he is able and he is willing. It's important for us to understand that uh, uh, who the God is who has made these promises to us. 
And we should never doubt because of the difficulties we see in this life. That's when we usually do, right? God, do you still love me? I'm going through all these problems. Well, wait a minute. Throughout his word, he tells us that Christians shouldn't think it a non-thing when we undergo trials and persecutions and hardships in this life. He's promised us that, but he's promised us a, a bright and glorious future as well. And he is able to bring it to pass. Faith believes in the one who makes the promises. That's what Abraham did. That's what we're to do. Leave the things of this world behind and believe that the one who makes these promises is able and willing to fulfill it. Third, faith sees. Uh, faith not only leaves, faith not only believes, but faith sees. Look at me in verse 10. <clears throat> For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. With me down in verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been looking... Uh, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he is preparing a city uh, for them. For he has prepared a city for them. You realize Abraham never possessed that land that God had promised? See, he, he never possessed it. But he, and he died still having faith. In Genesis uh, chapter 23, uh, Abraham calls himself a, an alien and a stranger in this land. We see here in verse 9 that they, they went about in this land living in tents. I like to camp, and I like to tent camp, and I like to go way up as far from a civilization as I can get and, and set up my tent and and sleep in it for a week or so. But you know, by the end of that week, I'm ready to leave that tent. Because that's not a permanent dwelling. And it's a good thing, because it gets kind of, you know. After a week, you say, this was fun. Now it's time to get back to civilization, get a shower, and get all that, be able to sit down at a table and eat a hot meal and all these things, and sleep in a more comfortable bed, and all these things. This is a tent's a temporary thing. They were dwelling in tents. It's a temporary thing. The land was not theirs. It's interesting that uh, Abraham even had to buy a plot of land when Sarah dies. He didn't own any land. He had to buy a plot of land in order to bury her there. He was a stranger and an alien, and he didn't receive the things that uh, God had promised him about this land, and he was still living in faith when he died. The same true with Isaac and Jacob as well. But Abraham was not looking for God to fulfill the promises in the earthly Canaan. Rather, as we just read, he is looking forward to a different fulfillment of the promise. He is looking for a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He's not thinking of the country he had left. He's thinking of a different country. He was longing for a better country, a, a heavenly one. Abraham was not looking for the, the, the promises to be fulfilled in an earthly Canaan. And while that did happen, the people of Israel gained that little strip of land over there. Um, and under, you know, David it expanded and Solomon it expanded. 
but yet that was kind of a shadow of the reality of what God had promised. It's interesting, in Psalm uh, 37, 11, it says that the meek shall inherit the land. Talking about the land of Canaan, right? In Matthew 5, again on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says the meek shall inherit the earth. He's kind of quoting from Psalm 37. Psalm 37, the land. Matthew 5, the earth. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is talking about family relationships and talking about the relationships of children and parents and what that's supposed to be like. And he quotes from the fifth commandment. In the fifth commandment, it says, Children, obey your, uh, children honor your father and your mother so that it may go well with you in the land. Right? That's the fifth commandment. You can look it up later. Obey your honor your father and mother so, so it will go well with you in the land. They're about to enter into the promised land, right? But Paul, in Ephesians 6, when he's talking about the relationships of children to parents, he quotes this verse. And when he quotes it, he says, Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long on the earth. Not just the land, but the earth. Okay. Romans uh, chapter 4, verse 13 in Romans 4.13, Paul is again talking about Abraham as an example of, of faith for all of us. And uh, that it was by his faith that it, uh, righteousness was credited to him. And in Romans 4 verse 13, he says, It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world. Not land, but world but through righteousness that comes by faith. Abraham would inherit and gain the promise of not just the land, but the world. The meek shall inherit not just the land, but the earth. Children, honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you, not just in the land, but in the earth. The inheritance of believers is not just a little strip of land over in the Middle East but it's all the earth. In this world at this time, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that just as Abraham saw himself as a stranger and an alien in that land, Peter says we're strangers and aliens in this world. Paul in Philippians chapter 3 says our true citizenship is in heaven. Our true citizenship is in the kingdom of God. And we see that God has promised that when Christ returns, that there's a, there's this, this world is, is, is burned up with fire. And then we see in Revelation 21, the new heavens coming down, the new earth. And all of the earth is our inheritance. Not just a little strip of land over in the Middle East, but all of the earth becomes our inheritance. Faith sees that and says, you know what? It's what I inherit. Faith sees also what we see in Revelation 21, that there is no more sickness or sorrow or pain. All things have passed away. Everything's become new. Faith sees that and believes it and knows that the time is coming when God will fulfill his promises to us. Even if we die in this world as those in Hebrews chapter 11 did, faith sees and continues to believe and is able to believe those things of the world pass behind. Fourthly, finally, Verses 17 through 19, 
of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He had received the promise. Uh, who had received the promise? Uh, the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. It's the ultimate demonstration of faith, isn't it? The ultimate demonstration of faith when we're able to obey God no matter what the sacrifice might seem to us. Here is Abraham and the one son that had been promised for so long and finally when Abraham's 100 years old, he gives him Isaac. His one son whom he truly loves. And he says, all right now, Isaac's uh, you know, old enough. You, you take him and you give him back to me. You take him up on this mountain. And you build an altar and you sacrifice him there. You give him back to me. Abraham rises early in the morning. And they take him and he goes up. And you remember the question on the way up when Isaac says, Lord, I or, uh, Father, I see the, the fire for the wood and, and or wood for the fire and the, and the fire that you brought along. But where's the sacrifice? He says, the Lord will provide. <laughs> Amazing thing. And he goes on. To fulfill it, and he builds the sacrifice, the altar there, and he, he puts Isaac on it, raises the knife back, and he is ready to plunge it into his son's chest. And of course, the Lord stops him. He says, Now I know that your 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 faith will bring you to, to obey what I say, even if it means offering everything, the most precious thing in this world to you, you're ready to offer it to me because you know that I am faithful and true. Abraham shows his faith by offering that which was most precious to him. We're to be faithful too. And our faith is to exhibit itself by us giving back to God and offering to Him what He requires of us. Part of that is witness. We can tell others about the grace of God. And we say, well, what if, what if they don't believe? What if they reject me because of it? That's not to be an issue, right? God's told us to go and be his witnesses. God has told us to give back to him financially, right? We say, but I don't know that I can do that because if I do that, I won't have enough money to do this or that or whatever. But that's what God's told us to do, right? God has told us to worship Him corporately along with all of His people. And we might say, it's so hard. You know, I get so little time off of work. Sundays are such a great day for me to be able to go and have time with family and just enjoy it. But God calls us to be faithful and to trust that He knows what is right and to offer ourselves to Him this way. There was nothing that... Abraham wasn't willing to give back to the Lord because of his faith, trusting that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead if need be. God has called us to obedience. God has called us to trust Him in such a way that our obedience shows that we can offer anything He, he calls us to, to give back to Him and we can trust Him with it, trusting that God will continue to provide. Well, if you're looking at Christianity and looking at your faith to be 
to give you health, wealth, and prosperity in this life. I'm afraid that uh, for most of us it doesn't happen. For most of Christianity, that's not what the Lord has brought to us, not what he calls us to. But he has called us to a bright and glorious future. Faith leaves this world and all the treasures that it has there behind to say, God, I can follow you, and that will be enough. Faith believes that God will actually fulfill his promises to us. Maybe not in the here and now, but we know a bright and blessed future is coming. Faith sees it from a distance, and faith trusts in it so much so that it can say, I can give up whatever is most precious to me to come and follow you. So this morning, I ask you, is your faith, how, how, how strong is your faith? Is it one that leaves the world behind? Is it one that believes that God will truly lead you? Is it one that sees the, the, the fulfillment of God's promises still in the future and believes in it completely so much so that you're willing to offer anything in this world that God would ask of you? And may our faith be even like that. Uh, Abraham, as the author of Hebrews here, is reminded he was such a faithful witness to us in faith. May our faith be even as his this morning. Let's pray.